continue worshiping together this morning, join me in your Bibles or Bible apps as we receive first these selected verses from Psalm 84, taken beginning in the first verse. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the, does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Now receive these selected verses from the book of Numbers, taken from the 11th chapter, beginning with the fourth verse. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servants so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran, to ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? 
would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Receive what the spirit is saying. Invite us now, if we can, to all just like take a collective breath. Can we do that together? Inhale. Let's pray. God, for your wisdom and revelation and hope, we pray now. Amen. Splash. It's a little jarring at first for both me and the water, but when the water settles, it begins to envelop me in what feels like a hug with no added pressure. And then an immediate, unencumbered, deep breath with no resistance, no pain. It is the moment that I long for, breath accompanied by relief. And then after the breath comes the desire to test the water, to see if it encourages movement or if it would prefer for me to stay in my place. Predictably, it always encourages movement. It always invites me forward. And then after the movement comes the rest. And oh, does the water encourage rest. It holds steady as if to say, take all the time you need. I've got you. And I'll be here when you're ready to move again. Eventually though, the time does run out. I have to find the nearest ladder and pull myself out of the pool. And it's hard, not just because of a lack of desire to do so, but because, and I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this as well, pulling yourself out of the water requires a little bit of extra strength. The water grabs onto you, almost trying to pull you back into communion with itself. No, don't go, the water says. Inevitably, the first feeling and connection I have with my body after swimming is a deep and primal need, thirst. Now, I do need to confess that I am typically a very thirsty person. I have beverage needs, as the foundry youth and I call them. And you will likely never see me without a ridiculously large sized container of water. Swimming, though, exacerbates my thirst because as it turns out, spending time in the pool can actually dehydrate you. As time goes on, I not only experience that primal thirst, but also an itching desire and thirst to be back in the water, to feel held and relieved and encouraged to move and to rest. And over the last few months of obligation, difficulty, and to be transparent, a dip in my mental health, swimming has sustained me. To set the scene for our text, we actually have to set two scenes. 
In the first scene, the Israelites are emboldened to express their hunger and thirst by this ragtag rabble, said to be a group of Egyptians who tagged along with the Israelites out of Egypt. They begin to express a hunger for sustenance beyond this miraculous manna that God had provided for them. Specifically, they wanted fish and melons and cucumbers and leeks and onion and garlic that they were all fed back in Egypt that the Israelites remembered was free. Except it wasn't free at all. It actually came with a great cost, the cost of their freedom. Moses hears the people weeping at their tents. I imagine it as this guttural expression of yet another basic human need, the need for food. And Moses, overwhelmed by this communal despair, addresses God by saying, and I'm paraphrasing, why am I the one carrying this burden? Did I conceive these people? No, you did. I can't carry the weight of this need. It is too heavy. Do something. And as we enter the second scene, God basically rebuts by saying, no, you do something. Go grab the 70 elders and bring them to the tabernacle tent. And so Moses does that. And in the tabernacle tent, God takes some of the spirit saturated in Moses and places it on the 70 elders and they begin prophesying. But then word gets back to Moses that two of the elders who were not in the tabernacle tent were prophesying anyway. Joshua is very concerned about this. And Moses says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put the Lord's spirit on them. This is firstly a tale of revised memory. Perhaps we revise our history because it is too painful to confront. Maybe we do it subconsciously. I'm gonna talk briefly for a moment about pregnancy and I, I want to offer this word to you. If you feel that this might be something that could cause you some pain, I want you to keep watch over your heart. With my first pregnancy, I had this nifty little thing called hyperemesis gravidarum, which they should really just call misery with a side of misery. It caused me to have all day, all month, all pregnancy illness. There wasn't a day in my first pregnancy where I didn't vomit, including the day I gave birth. I lost a total of 50 pounds over the course of my pregnancy with cash, and I insisted that I would not have another child because of how miserable the first experience had been. I even wrote a journal every day so that if I even thought about trying again, I would have a firsthand account to convince me otherwise. And lo and behold, about two years later, and after reading said pregnancy journal, I began to remember that it wasn't that bad. And I won't go into detail, but I will tell you that my pregnancy with Riggins was even more difficult. And as an aside, both were, of course, totally and absolutely worth it. The Israelites have not only misremembered their time in Egypt, but it seems they've also forgotten about God's work and provision that got them where they are in the first place and the blessing of manna that they have now. 
For example, in their exodus, when met with an obstacle of a huge body of water with an opposing army at their back, God provided a way. And it's worth noting that this way isn't around the water or by another path. The way that God provides is through the water. And yet even as water poured from their faces and as they thirst, they don't recall this great water miracle. And not only do they not remember it, they don't crave it, God's provision and blessing. Their craving instead is for something less sustainable and empty that later in the text becomes their demise. How often do we forget about our own great water miracles? When the suffering is too great, when we're holding more than we can bear, when work is overwhelming and the lines between work and home are blurred and we're angry because we're grieving unfair deaths and our anxiety and stress levels are through the roof, how is it even possible to remember anything other than the weight of the wilderness or to yearn for the predictable even if it is torturous? And so we cry out, God, where are you? Do something. I can't carry this load, at least not by myself. Or we're simply too exhausted to be angry. And so we weep at our tents. Or we become so wrapped up in the predictability of hierarchical structures and binary ideals And if we check in with our second scene, how is Joshua handling all of this? By realizing for himself, if he doesn't at least have an idea of who is allowed to be prophesying and who isn't, that it will all come crashing down on him. As if to say, nothing around me makes sense right now, but you know what feels really good in the midst of this suffering and grief? To know that I'm right about something. To know that I'm on the good side of something. To know that these people have authority and these people don't, or these people deserve medical care and these people don't. And sometimes thirsting for reassurance of our goodness and rightness can spiral us into a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, a conscious or subconscious bend toward manipulation and gaslighting, disempowerment and abuse that ultimately becomes our demise. And yet, God had not abandoned the Israelites. God provided manna for them in the dewy water that grasped onto the land. God showed up and commissioned 72 people in the community to help share the load of Moses. And while baptism isn't an expressly mentioned ritual in the Hebrew scriptures, the idea of water as an agent of renewal would have been intimately known by the Israelites. I wonder if the Israelites recognized this in the crossing of the Red Sea, or if it wasn't until later when they crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land that they felt the significance of the breakthrough, the release, the rescue of movement through the water. That same River Jordan where later the Messiah would come to be baptized. 
Crossing through the water is part of our story of our people of faith. Wandering away from the water is part of our nature. Misinterpreting our thirst becomes a coping mechanism for the desert. And I find that in the driest of deserts I try and often fail to be grateful for the oasis of grace, which we see highlighted in baptism the provenient grace, the grace that goes before our understanding or our recollection, the justifying grace, the grace that stops us in our tracks, the moment of realization and memory and sanctifying grace, the grace that continually pulls us back into community to be encouraged and loved and fed on our spiritual journey. Our baptisms are not just certificates that we keep in storage boxes. They are a tabernacle event, whether we remember it or not, where we have been saturated by the Spirit. They are our great water miracles in the gathering of the community intended to embrace those who have been claimed by God, whom we invite into love and life and grace and eventually vocation through the sacrament of baptism. It is a passageway from death to life, from darkness to light, from wandering to the promised land, from bondage to liberation. It is through, through the water that we are saved and healed and made whole and imbued with the Spirit consecrated as prophets with something to say about the way of justice and mercy. It is on our baptismal journey that we remember that we are surrounded by more than 70 capable and called people ready and willing to help carry the load who share the same vocation of the work of transformation and showing up for our siblings as living witnesses that we can be different and still belong to one another. It is there in this beautiful place where we are ushered into unrevised memory of the power of the promise of God's unfailing presence and love for us and all people, where we and others feel empowered into leadership and sharing the work of communal life together. And Foundry, as we continue turning this corner, I can think of nothing better to remember as we have come through this driest of deserts than our great water miracles. And just like my thirst to get back in the pool, I pray that we thirst for the things that will sustain us and carry us through. Our thirst, may it be for the baptismal waters, the waters that envelop us like a hug with no added pressure. Waters that provide relief and encourage us to both move and to rest the waters that say, I've got you, you're safe here. And the waters that grab onto us and beg us not to go. Let us pray. God of the great water miracles, 
Remind us that in our driest deserts, when we hunger and thirst and get caught up in coping strategies that bring harm to ourselves and others, that that oasis of grace that we see is not a mirage. Remind us that we are water people, baptized into this storied faith, and that we are part of beloved community together. Help us to stand so that we may step up and continue to rain manna down on us until we no longer insatiably thirst for inadequate substitutes. Drench us in the memory of our baptism that we may intimately know who we are and who we are called to be. For these and all things we pray together in the name of the Triune.